Luke chapter 12, taking a short break here from Ecclesiastes. We have just a couple of weeks as we uh, go through Ecclesiastes, but we're going to look at another one of Luke's parables here in Luke chapter 12, uh, being reminded that parables could be any number of things. They could be riddles, they could be proverbs, or the favorite of our Lord Jesus was the story and is telling a short story that many could resonate with. And by using parables, Jesus was accomplishing a couple different things. Um, he was uh, speaking in a way that could be related to, that could be understood as he talked about life in the kingdom and what it looks like to live that kingdom life, the very character of God. Um, but he is also masking what that looks like from others by using parables. So he is extending both mercy and judgment. He who has ears to hear, let him hear, Jesus says, as he speaks this way. Uh, so in Luke chapter 12 here, just to get our biblical bearings a little bit, Jesus is about 30 years old. He's put down his carpentry tools and he is moving from uh, the, the northern part of uh, Israel, kind of that south Syria that today, if you can picture that on the map, and he's moving uh, south towards uh, Jerusalem. And he has uh, gone to men who are fishing, a very admirable and noble trade, and said, stop fishing for the fish and follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And so they are, are following Jesus. They are learning from him. And we know that it's in Jerusalem where his mission will be completed. That's where the climax uh, is found there. We read in chapter 9. So he has set his face to Jerusalem. And many are coming to see Jesus, coming to listen to him. Maybe they've heard about him and they're curious. They've heard he's been doing some pretty unique things, kingdom things. Uh, and so Jesus is teaching them about the character of God and life in this kingdom. And because Jesus is the very embodiment of God, in his reigning kingdom, these in, the, the instructions that Jesus gives really describes what it looks like to align with him, um, to be a genuine follower of the king. And we start to see that following Jesus, the more we look in the Gospels, the more we look at these parables, um, it, it does, not everyone aligns with this. There are others who have their own ideas of what it looks like to follow God faithfully and to spend life in his kingdom. Um, will the disciples align with Jesus? Will you align with Jesus? Uh, knowing full well that if you do that, if we do that, we can expect to face very similar opposition as he did. So let's keep that on our minds. We go to Luke chapter 12, diving in here. Uh, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he, that is Jesus, said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? for I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, 
Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is God's holy and enduring word to his people, to the crowd that listened in, and uh, to you and I today. Let's pray. Lord God, we do pray that you would work your word to perform it in these moments. You, O Lord, are our pastor. You are the one preaching and teaching us through your word. And I pray, Lord, that, um, that we might handle your word rightly by the power of your spirit. And we need you, Holy Spirit, to uh, show us how to think, to show us how to believe so we ask your help now in doing this, knowing full well that you are near the proclamation of your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Maybe you've heard the name Marcus uh, Passion. Uh, I was not familiar with Marcus's name until I heard it in association with the video game Minecraft. Maybe some of you have heard of this, the Minecraft where they, you build these cities, these villages, these lands... And then you try to keep them you know, from being destroyed by the zombies or other things that are walking around in this imaginary uh, game. Some of you are shaking your head. You know what I'm talking about. And the graphics of this game are something like out of the 70s. But it, it, it really, uh, it, it's really um, grabbing. It's somewhat addicting for those who, uh, who play it, I realize. But uh, as of last week, I, I, I tried to do a double check on this. Over 200 million purchases uh, of this game worldwide. And uh, in 2014, Microsoft bought the company that created Minecraft, and that deal made Mr. Passion uh, a billionaire uh, by doing that. And uh, like most billionaires, he uh, opened up the classifieds to Beverly Hills, uh, found a nice place for uh, about $70 million. And if you can imagine it, if you can imagine it being in a home, this, this mansion probably has it. Um, towers, like the pillars that hold things up, full of M&Ms. Um, it has a movie theater. It has 15 bathrooms, and apparently uh, the toilets are about $6,000 a piece. Um, now, I'm of the mind that if you can afford a $6,000 toilet, you, you probably don't lack much. Probably not much you're doing without. And, and Marcus found this out, that he could do anything he wanted, any time that he wanted, his days could be spent in just comfort, luxury, um, and they may still be that way. I, I don't know. But some time ago, he sent the, these short messages on his Twitter account, and perhaps if you're in that category of billionaires, this is more, more public knowledge. Um, but a little bit before 5 a.m. one morning, he writes, The problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying, and human interaction becomes impossible due to imbalance. And then two minutes later, hanging out with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people, able to do whatever I want, and, I never, and I've never felt more isolated. Three minutes later, this is my favorite one, found a great girl, but she said she's afraid of me and my lifestyle and went with a normal person instead. Um, I only wonder what normal might be for, for Marcus Pachon. But I'm torn when I read this because I, I want to laugh at one point, but I want to I cry at the same time, 
You know, this, this man has everything, and yet he's getting the sense that he doesn't have very much. There's a growing unhappiness and, and dissatisfaction with his own life. So you can get his fill of, of earthly possessions, and yet he feels uh, empty and alone. And so Jesus says right up front that our lives do not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he's addressing the man in the crowd here with the intent that everyone else would listen in carefully. This man was in danger. His heart was, was tangled by, by greed. I want my share. I want what's, what's coming to me. Something of mine is at stake. And so the mission for Jesus isn't to solve every family dispute that comes his way, but to open eyes and ears to the kingdom. That's what he's doing. So there's a greater lesson here for all from this man's uh, request of Jesus. How are we to view earthly possessions? How do we guard against greed and covetousness? And when Jesus says we need to be on guard against something, that we need to look out, that we need to avoid, it means that it's fairly easy for us to fall prey to this trap, to believe the lie that goes along with it. That, that no one here, not one person here in this room is immune to this. The lie that life really is about me and what will make me happy or comfortable or safe. Really what's, what's coming to me. So we're lured away, we're seduced by the stuff that promises great things that can never satisfy, just can't deliver on these things. Um, Material possessions and the power of material possessions, uh, they're a poor substitute and make a very powerful idol in our lives. It's proving true for Mr. Passone, uh, true for the wealthy man in this parable. So we're going to ask a couple of questions just to guide our understanding of Jesus' words here. We're going to look at how this rich man answers these questions and the corrective that Jesus makes. The first question we're asking is, whose wealth is it? Whose wealth is it? And we're told here in verse 16 that this man is already rich. He doesn't seem to lack anything obvious. His needs are met. And now the family farm has produced just a bumper crop. We don't know, you know, corn, beans, grapes, olives could have been any of those. But it was a good crop. He had more than enough to, to cover his expenses and live on and, and more that he could store away for a later time. So he has some decisions to make. Uh, and Jesus brings everyone in on this conversation that reveals whose wealth this really is, according to this man. He already said, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? This man's having a running, running conversation with me, myself, and I. He's not talking with his wife, he's not talking with a trusted friend, not seeking outside counsel it would appear he's thoroughly convinced that the abundance of his possession is his and his lordship will decide how best to use those things so i see him loving that independence that that self-sufficiency this bumper crop is just fueling this and so the values of the kingdom that which would honor god doesn't seem to even cross his mind gives no thought, seeks no counsel from the Lord. I hope that triggers something for us. 
just by hearing that? Do we seek the Lord's direction and counsel when we make our decisions? And this could be big decisions. What job do I take? Where do I move? To the small decisions. Doesn't mean you're bringing everything you know, before the Lord. You put cheese on your sandwich or not or wake up at 5.30 or 5.45. No, we don't have to um, offer all of those things. But our day should be characterized by dialogue with our Heavenly Father. He knows our steps. He knows the decisions that are before us. He's already orchestrating those events and the circumstances of our lives from the very beginning. So let's talk to Him. Seek His counsel. Seek the counsel of others who, who know you well, who share a desire to follow the Lord along with you. The man in this parable, he's so inward focused that he's not giving any thought to the wise counsel of God. So whose wealth is it really? Verse 16, the land produced plentifully. Now, who gives the fruit of the land? You know, the farmer sows the seed and has a part in reaping what has been sown. But the growth of that seed and the plant that bears fruit, that is of the Lord. And there's a point that as, as a farmer, you just have to wait and trust that the rain and the sun will come. The bounty of the field belongs to God. It's His fruit. Fruit that's entrusted to the one who may work the land or apply that trade um, in another area. But the wealth that this man sees as his own does not begin and end with him. Um, he didn't cause the seed to grow. And when, the, uh, when, when he dies, this, this crop is going to remain for someone else to take care of. So the wealth belongs to God who distributes according to His purpose. Uh, do we believe this? Do you really believe this? That the clothes on your body and the car you drove to church this morning and the house that you will go home to, the meal on our tables today, every penny in that savings account belongs to God. I think it'd be, it can be easy for us to think, I know, I know it is for me, um, that you know, I've, I've worked hard for this. Uh, I put in some time, energy, sweat. You know, a little reward here would be nice. I like to can use some of this for a little me time. I mean, there is reward for hard work. Well, let, let's hear that. For a job well done, there is time, and there, there should be time to enjoy. Ecclesiastes reminds us of this. To enjoy the fruits of our labors. But those rewards are not, they're not independent of the Creator God who gives generously. Later in the same chapter, Jesus talks about the manager who is entrusted with the household of a master. Uh, and then there's a great blessing when the master finds this manager going about his work, managing his assets well. But if those assets are squandered and abused, then the master destroys this unfaithful manager. Much will be required of those whom much is entrusted. So entrusted with little, then we're to be faithful with little. This doesn't slip past the eyes of God. His desire in entrusting much or little is that we would be ultimately satisfied in Him. So that this rich man, this parable, has been entrusted with much. So much is required of him. But his heart is turned 
inward. Greed. Self-sufficiency. Matthew 19, Jesus says it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Not because of the quantity of money, but because of what this money and possession does here. Because of what it does to the heart. It pulls away. Pulls us towards that autonomy and and self-sufficiency. Yes, even self-righteousness. You can hear this. My needs are met. I have the stuff. Praise God, He's provided. And I will go to Him if needed. You hear the self-righteousness? True of any, any idol of our heart. Wealth and possessions tend to blind us from that spiritual poverty and our need of what only God can supply. You know, if, if all the crop, all the wealth, all the stuff belongs to this man, um, here's a tragic result. Any threat to this stuff is a threat against him. If that stuff is tragically lost or stolen, then he becomes angry or he sinks in despair. So if his status, his approval, his worth... His very life is connected to the stuff. And so he'll do whatever is necessary to protect his stuff, even if that means pushing back against God and what God values, um, which may be God's movement of the stuff in different ways. Um, It is only when we see the wealth and all things belonging to God that we are detached enough that we are free enough to see the stuff move from one place to the next. We know that in Christ, bound to Christ, our approval, our status, our satisfaction is not dependent upon the stuff. So we can hold it loosely if we're grateful for what God gives. Be grateful in one season, grateful for what He takes in another season because He loves us perfectly. He knows us best. Church family, don't believe the lie that you have to decide between honoring God and what is best for you. Don't ever believe that lie. Those those conditions are never at odds with each other. What is absolutely best for us in any season of life, in plenty and in want, is to honor Christ. When He's glorified in the use of the resources like we're talking about here, then we are gaining in this. We are growing. We are benefiting by acknowledging that all things belong to God. All these things should be invested uh, with His kingdom in mind. That takes us into this, this next question. How should this crop, how should this wealth be invested? According to the man in the parable, it should be invested in me. It should be invested on himself. Man's chief concern was to build his own investment portfolio. The goal is to store away as much as he could so he could take life easy. It sort of reminds me of the Onesler in the Lorax. Those of you who have read Dr. Seuss over the years. You remember the concern of the Lorax? The Onesler was coming in and cutting down all the truffle trees so that he could make thneeds, which everyone needs, Right? And so he had to keep making, building up his factory and, and biggering and biggering. That's the goal of the rich man. 
biggering and biggering, not really concerned about who he steps on in the process or the needs of those around him, but with, only with his own ability to live comfortably. So because his, his priority and chief concern was his own personal investment portfolio, the Lord calls him a fool. Now don't, don't let that escape you. We've heard the language a little bit in Ecclesiastes. Um, but I think today when we hear fool, we don't, we don't take it too heavily, I guess. You know, that was just a foolish decision. Or, um, you know, just a foolish mistake. Just sort of breezes past us. But in the Bible, there are a few things worse than being in the category of a fool. Ecclesiastes has shown us this. Here's a few examples from Proverbs. Proverbs uses this language over 40 times in a negative way. Proverbs 18, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. Proverbs 28, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. And then in in Proverbs 17, let a man meet a mother bear robbed of her cubs, much better rather than a fool in his folly. This man is a fool, not only because he has misused what belongs to God, but because he is more concerned with riches that vanish in a moment than with his own soul that lives forever. We need to remember here, uh, verse 20 emphasizes this. Um, you know, there, there are two things that could happen at any moment. There are more than two things, but two things that really could happen at any moment. You could breathe your last. Or the Lord Jesus could return in glory. And those two things could happen at any moment outside of our control. Um, they're imminent and we don't determine them. Okay, and when either of those two things happen, whether Jesus returns or you breathe your last, this stuff here, it means nothing. Absolutely nothing. Um, it is worthless. And when that time comes, it could be today, it could be tomorrow could be the next day. Um, we are standing before the Lord. There's going to be no opportunity to, to change. Um, that very night, the soul of this rich man with all these plans was required of him. And how he invested those resources was required of him. Brothers and sisters, don't as this sinks in, don't, don't wait to redirect your ways under the scrutiny of God's Word. Um, our every moment is in His hands. Um, again, complementing what we talked about last week in Ecclesiastes 11. Make kingdom investments today that will last. At some point on his faith journey, Martin Luther said this, I have held many things in my hands and I have lost them all. But whatever I place in God's hands, that I still possess. So we're to live in dependence upon God, who knows our every need. And so as we trust Him, and our vision for the needs around us then begins to grow, we begin to see these things more acutely as we trust the Lord to provide. We're to invest in, in the work and values of the kingdom to be more concerned with that kingdom portfolio than personal ease and comfort and, and wealth building. And this is something we, we cannot merit God's favor. We can't invest resources to improve our status with God. 
earn salvation. This is by His grace alone, through the finished work of Christ alone. Uh, But there is a great joy. There is a reward in kingdom investment in being rich toward God. We've been been made to receive and enjoy what God has generously provided. But if that's all we're doing, if, if all we're doing is receiving, then we're actually distorting His image in us. He's made us to be recipients, but also participants in His generosity. So when you see the needs of a neighbor, or maybe we simplify our lifestyle so that we can serve a little bit more. When we do without some something or some experience so that we can give a little more for those who, who do not have this hope of the gospel we're making kingdom investments by doing this our giving really does reflect the value we place on god's gift to us so even though our possessions are not permanent god is permanent moving of his resources in a way Uh, that values what he values. That is what will endure for his glory. This is on the heart of of the Apostle Paul as he wrote to the Philippians. He's encouraging their generosity and helping the church. And he says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So spiritually, he's saying, this is one of the best things for you to give in support of, of this church. You, you have a heart for something, but the resource is there. A heart for the Lord's work, maybe a particular ministry, focus on that. Put your money there, because where your money go, there your heart will follow. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will spill over with new wine, we read in Proverbs 3. And continuing Luke 12, Jesus goes on to describe how the Lord provides for all His creatures and how silly it is to think that He won't provide for us in our need. It was God's pleasure to give us the kingdom, the very kingdom of heaven. We're to be rich toward God. We seek His face in times of plenty, in times of want. He is our provider and we'll find that in those times that we, uh, we think we're really in need, He has provided. Um, that we still possess everything in the Lord Jesus. And so, if, uh, you know, Marcus Pashon, if he were listening to this message, maybe in God's providence, uh, he will. I'd first apologize uh, for making reference to him without talking to him about it. But I would also thank him. I would thank him for being honest for being real. Right? And he may not have thought about that in the moment when he was sitting, sending out those tweets, but a very helpful window into the power of possessions and the resulting emptiness and isolation that goes with it. And I pray that he would come to know, if he doesn't already, that he will stand before the Lord with not one dollar, not one penny of the whatever billions that has been entrusted to him. Not one. And he'll be accountable for how he used it. The earthly investment portfolio will be gone. Um, church, the same is true for you. The $5 in your pocket, 50 500 whatever's in the account, do we understand whose property this is? 
that we consider how we might manage and invest that for the kingdom of God. It's the only portfolio that's going to yield everlasting benefits. And we see our lives, we see the lives of others through that lens of eternity, through the lens of the kingdom of Christ. I mean, it just drastically changes our attitude towards stuff. I mean, what God has given. I have some real growing to do in this area. I do. I need the Lord's help to let go of some things that maybe I've grabbed onto a little too tightly and living like they're actually mine. We need to be on guard against this. We need to be on guard. Lure us away from real heart satisfaction and contentment in Jesus. Kingdom investment. That's only going to be a reality if we are truly grateful. Truly grateful and delight in the generous heart of God. He's the one who's given us all things in Christ. Let me close here with a word by Pastor Kent Hughes. Summarizes well the priorities we must consider. He says, we can build a huge savings account. We can plan our retirement so that we'll have nothing to do but change positions in the sun. We can plan our menu for the twilight years so that nothing but the finest cuisine crosses our lips. We can live as if this is all of life. We can laugh our way to the grave only to discover at the end that we have nothing. Or we can be rich toward God because we gave and gave and gave. Let's pray. Lord God, you are a generous God. We see your heart of generosity to us beyond compare in the giving of your Son. Lord, it was by your good pleasure, uniting us to Jesus, that you have given us the kingdom. Oh, what an inheritance is ours. Oh, we look forward to in your manifest presence and glory that makes the experiences of this life seem so, well, vain as we consider your word. Lord, we pray that you would work this word into our hearts, that you would move us with hearts of generosity, move us with hearts of contentment for all that we have belongs to you. And whether it is much or whether it is little, it belongs to you. and You've entrusted us to invest it wisely for your glory. Lord, be glorified in the attitude of our hearts. Guard us from covetousness. Guard us from believing the lie that only we decide what's good for us. Lord, deepen our faith. Deepen our trust in you who has provided all we could ever need in Christ. In his name we pray, amen.